you know, they say like the 30s sucked because of the Great Depression and obviously the 40s weren't even that much better with the whole World War II nonsense going on. But I watched the Big Sleep, the movie version, the original 19, I think it was 1946 version last night. And if a dude looking like Humphrey Bogart <laughs> was not only a leading man, but like in that movie playing uh, Philip Marlowe, he was pulling straight dimes. Yeah. Like, in the book, he's pulling straight dimes, but in the movie, I'm like, well, damn. I, I, I don't believe that. Maybe well, back then, but, like, you did, you could just look like a skinny, uh, out of shape we're not drunkard. Even, we're not even that. You could be, like, big. Like, you know, remember, like, the leading man, like, those, like, the big guys back then, they were just, like, all top-heavy, no, no div- like, uh, chis- like, chiselness and nothing, no definition. Just, like, normal-looking dudes. Yeah. Yeah, like, you look at Humphrey Bogart, and it was funny, too, because in one scene in the movie, he's like, I'm 38 years old, and I'm like, motherfucker, that's a rough 38, 38 pushing 52. <laughs> I, don't know what he, I don't know how old he was when he filmed that movie, but damn, he didn't look 38 to me. But that, watch, watch, it was so tough back then, he was actually in his 20s. <laughs> all he did was smoke and drink through the whole movie, which they did in the book and just in life in general, yeah. I guess. Yeah, you could just be a leading man well, you, and look like Humphrey Bogart. That's amazing to me. Well, you sp- uh, you figure around the time that the story took place, it was like not right after Prohibition, but you know, like a couple years afterwards. So you know, the whole like getting to drink thing again was you know probably a big deal, and just like I'm going to drink everywhere, I'm going to drink every meal of the day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. What an amazing time to be alive. Hey there, you're listening to the DPW Podcast, coming from the grimy streets of southwestern PA. Rain, it's heavy, dirt and grime, Spencer Church, a beautiful dame, guns, bullets, knives, fast cars, smoking men, high-waisted pants, fedoras, business suits, conspiracies. I could just keep saying words. Yeah. I like it. Um, <laughs> hour and a half later, that's the end of the podcast, folks. <laughs> I have to do that the whole episode. That's just how it'll end. Well, I mean, the eerie this guys—they just released. They recorded a while ago, a while ago, but they released their big sleep Raymond Chandler podcast. And theirs is way better than, uh, than ours oh, is going to be. Oh yeah, it's de- it's definitely way more informative and. Oh yeah, they're covering everything that we don't feel like covering. Well, and, well also they're doing it. It's it's going to be part of a series. They're going to do yeah. like uh, like once a month. They're going to do a rain, uh, one of his books. Yeah. So if you guys want the the, the professional, you're going to learn something episode. Go listen to the ear read this podcast. If you just want some nonsense, you're you're at the right place. Uh, I'm your host with the most Caleb James with me today. Spencer, the San Diego Sleuth Church. Yeah. I wanted to go with something with Dick, but I felt like, no. And also, I looked up why they called him Private Dicks. It's because somehow it was short for detective. Mm. I don't know who, who fucking came up with that one, but that was it. Ah, today, as you have guessed, we are covering The Big Sleep by one Raymond Chandler. This is our, is this a book, cat, book of the month? Book cast? What is this? This has got to be a book of the month. It's not a continuation, so... But book of the month, sure. Okay. Why not? We just didn't give nobody any time whatsoever. No, no. Well, this episode will be here whenever you get around to yeah. reading it after we get done talking about it. 
you know what? I'll release this next Saturday. Fuck it. That'll be it. That w- it won't coincide with our normal episode. So whatever. Uh, or it does coincide. I don't know how words work anymore. I, I find every week I get worse at this now. <laughs> like I peaked. Like I, we were, we started off bad. Yeah. We worked our way up until we got adequate. Yes. And then that's where we peaked. It, yeah, like yeah. A nice level of mediocrity. Yes. And then it just started going back down the other way. And now I feel like every episode I stumble over words more. I can't read. I, do you think that has anything to do with the current situation and everything? Do you think that plays it all into the factor? Of that, that is possible. Oh, who is this? Potential spam. Alabama I ain't gonna uh, answer that oh, one. You know you need to answer that on the air. Alabama man, no, it's gonna be like, hello sir, do you your car warranty is up? Would you like to? Well, I guess my guy's Italian. I don't know. I uh, get, I get those things from like three cars ago. I was like, I don't even have the car that I got after that anymore. <laughs> Quit calling me. I didn't even have a, an original warranty when I got my vehicle. Anyway, going back just because you brought up the whole uh, pandemic, the ones in a lifetime pandemic we're going through. Uh, we, Raymond, keep on, we keep on saying that, but I feel like it's with the oh, way... Oh, we're going to have more, yeah. Well, especially with the way what's happened in our short lifespan yeah. already, there's going to be others. But anyway, just saying it's life, you know, once in a lifetime for now. <laughs> Raymond Chandler went through the Spanish flu yeah. in 1918. He got it twice. I I thought I thought that was very eerie, like, whenever I was, like, looking up and, and just about him and, you know, stuff right. about the story and stuff like that, I was like... Yeah, that's weird. Like, that's kind of... Well, there's a... Who the fuck is this now? Alabama again. Fucking... Goddamn food delivery driver from Alabama. I mean, should we wait till they they get done delivering the food to her? No, I have her putting it on the porch. We'll see how it goes. All right. Well, while you go make ruckus opening that, we'll just sit here and talk about nice things. I like flowers when they bloom in the spring no you don't i like flowing water in rivers that's not brown no you don't i like the smiles on innocent children's faces <laughs> no you don't as i lure them into my van no, <laughs> wait, wait wait a minute that's more like it all right the interruptions are over We're so professional in our studio going back to mr raymond chandler i didn't read too much about him i just read a few things uh, mainly just about his writing what I found interesting was, like, uh, because of the Great Depression and stuff, he decided to start uh, writing the pulp stories because yep. that's just what was profitable at the time. That's what most people were reading. When he wrote The Big Sleep, he actually, well, I wouldn't say stole, it's his own story, so what, like, cannibalized? Yeah, he reused different scenes. And- from di- all the detective stories he wrote before, he used scenes from them and kind of cobbled, cobbled them together in uh, The Big Sleep. And uh, quite interesting. The writing style of the... Because this is the only thing I've read by yeah. Raymond Chandler so far. The writing style, I went into it because I wanted a lot of descriptions and like cool dialogue. And you know what you think of noir, hard-boiled noir stories. And I felt like the, the descriptions, I didn't really get that taste. Again, this was like one of the first real yeah. noir stories. So I didn't get that, uh, that, that great detail I was looking for necessarily. But there were some in there. But there was a lot of metaphors and similes. And some of the similes were like ridiculous. Yeah. Like, you know... Like, we always use the one, like, you know, he hit, like, a Mack truck. But they had a lot of weird ones in there. I can't even think, like, I don't know. He he just used he used some real funny. A lot of them for uh, comedic effect, I think. Well, then, too, you got to realize, like, whatever the, the ones you would pick of that, like, that would probably make more sense back then. Yeah. Not almost 100 years later to people, like, 
How is this speaking another language almost? Yeah, the uh, dialogue was like that too because the slang back then. There was a lot of stuff I just didn't understand what they were talking about. I was like, "What is? He, what are they saying right now?" Um, but it was entertaining, and you could definitely get the pulpy feel. Like you yeah. could tell with like the heavy use of the similes, and then some of the kind of ham-fisted metaphors. That was the pulp style. That was to uh, set like a kind of over-the-top mood. And uh, describe things in a bit of an over-the-top way. And again, just like the movie, it's the fast-talking detectives with the high pants and um, kind of soap opera-like. That's how the, oh, yeah. That's how uh, it was back then in the movies. Everything was like this overacting soap opera type of style. And that actually comes across in the book, which I thought was interesting. Um, so you could see like their, probably not even TV, but... Uh, like the movies of the day kind of bled into the pulp and vice versa. They use the, the pulp stories in the movies. Going into the actual Big Sleep here, uh, the plot overview for the Big Sleep. I'm going to use some spark notes on this one so we don't have to uh, use our shitty memory. Because <laughs> you were saying off air that you uh, you weren't in the what right mind frame to get into some of the deeper parts of the story. Well, yeah, just because like I just got done... Uh Reading some uh, Lovecraft stories before this. So that already melted your brain. Yeah, so normally, like, normally my routine is like I'll read a book or like some prose, whatever it is, and then I'll go and read some either uh, single issues or a couple graphic novels or some comics or whatever. And like I go back and forth <clears throat> as like pack cleansers for yeah. both. Uh, but since we wanted, we've been talking about this and we've been wanting and wanted to get it done, I went straight from those stories to this. And even though that it was good, I enjoyed it. You might not enjoy it as much if you. Yeah. Read it for leisure on your own time. Yeah, and then just, so by the time we get getting to, like, the second half of the book, I was just kind of getting a little dragged on by everything. And again, what, you know, what's going on now, too, also, just with work and everything, just weren't, like, you know... You're a little weary in the yeah, brain. Yeah, it wasn't a, a perfect, you know, setup to, you know, to get through this. See, for me, I'm halfway through Moby Dick, and I just had to take a break. Yeah. It was getting too fucking boring. So this was actually a nice pick-me-up, as far as stories go. But like I said, it didn't give me the noir like that. What I was looking which, for, which I would hope, because I do want to eventually at least check out a couple more. Yeah, uh, of these, because what there's twelve of them, I think. Yeah, there's a bunch of them. Uh, so uh, what I'm hoping is once it gets into like a couple, couple of those later stories, that maybe he, that's when that stuff maybe takes more of a hold on because you know he's, yeah. he's he's done it for a while he has a better feel he developed a little bit more so maybe like that's where that you know stuff is coming from yeah the way and he, they in this book just kind of gets credited for it because it's the first in that series that right. that you know had that set up the noir kind of crime well this was stuff. one of the most famous ones because it was the first but i heard a lot of people say the other some of the other books are actually better again i'd be interested to go and read some of those to it's, see how a style will especially evolve. if they're all around like this same length yeah this these are pretty short yeah i mean this is like uh Old man in the sea length. This, these are pretty sh- like under two hundred word or two hundred pages. So you can knock these out pretty quickly. Yeah. I think I knocked mine out, and then I actually stretched mine for about two days because uh, I was doing other stuff. But I could easily read it in one sitting. Uh, going to the deep dive. The novel opens up. No, it doesn't. It doesn't open up. That's not even the word here. What's the, what's the ruckus here? Is that me? You just walk out, and it's like the scene at the end of the Avengers with the Hulk and Loki, but it's it's uh, Nitro and Mindy. <laughs> He's just whipping her around. Yeah. 
The novel opens on an overcast morning in mid-October. It is thundering, foreboding rain. Philip Marlowe, a tough, cynical, yet honest private detective, is hired by the old ailing General Sternwood to help him take care of Arthur Gwynn Geiger, a homosexual, possibly bisexual, pornographer who has been blackmailing the General with potentially scandalous pictures of the General's daughter, Carmen Sternwood. Marlowe agrees to the task. Now, just going to the opening here. Two things. One... Was this factual L.A. weather back then? Like, did, did it I, just always rain in California back? Because this was like, this still reads like when you think of a gritty Chicago-based yeah. noir story with all the rain and drizzle and constant thunder and lightning and shitty weather. But this was in Los Angeles, which is supposed to always be nice. And droughts now. Yeah. So I'm wondering, back in the 1930s and 40s, was it raining a lot? Was it normal weather there? Maybe. Maybe. That's something to... uh look into because I would be interested to see the evolution of uh, climate change in Los Angeles. I know it's gotten hotter. Oh, yeah. But uh, has things have things really dried out. So Also, this uh, very quickly touched on some of the negatives of uh, this this type of story back set in the 30s. Um, I mean, not, not I wouldn't say negative. Uh, negatives as in what reviewers nowadays say is like... Uh, Looking at, looking at it through a 2020 yeah. lens. Yeah. Uh, the... Literally, like, 2020 of the year and 2020 yeah. the hindsight. There was some homophobia in this book in regards to uh, the character Philip Marlowe. He, uh, I think he called the one guy, I think the guy who died here, he called him a queen. A lot of things, uh, some words I don't want to say. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty strange when you read it now because it was kind of so open back then yeah because that was just in a popular magazine yeah and so like you know just saying some of those slurs you're like whoa like it kind of hit you like oh man and then uh same with the uh anti-semitism they the way they just talked about jews was like ah fuck them <laughs> like okay it was uh it's interesting to see like you said in popular magazines that's what was being read by kids well i also wonder like in no situation Wastings, um, how much of it is from writers and like how much is it from like the editors of the magazines? Yeah. Like, no, we want you to talk about like these kind of people in a certain way. Like, if they do that or if they don't do that, because they know what would, you know, if they talk about African Americans in a good light, that that might not sell. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? In certain areas. I mean, I don't know if that, if any of that went on, but uh, that'd be like a cool thing to, to find out. Yeah, to dig into. Well, the character Philip Marlowe really plays off. You know, he's so cool. He always knows what to say and what to do. He really plays off as, like, 1930s and 40s wish fulfillment for males. Yeah. Like, what teenagers in, you know, early 20s, like, how they would want to be. So, I could kind of see, like, uh, again, I didn't read about Raymond Chandler too much, but I could kind of see maybe, like, he thought this would be the cool guy. Yeah. I don't know if that's how he thought, he, like, how he wished he was. Like, you think of, like, a James Bond character. Mm. A lot of people wish that's how they were. But, you know, uh, like Ian Fleming, he was pretty much James Bond yeah. in real life. So, I don't know if this was actually based on Raymond Chandler's feelings at the time or just he was doing the wish fulfillment. He's like, this is what people want to read about, you see? Mm. And then he wrote it. Going back to this, Marlowe's first assignment becomes complicated by an intertwined by an intertwined with a second plot, which also has its roots in the initial meeting with Sternwood. General Sternwood mentions peripherally Yet implicitly, the disappearance of his well-liked ex-bootlegger son-in-law, Rusty Regan. Rusty has been married to the general's eldest daughter, Vivian Sternwood. That's why I thought it was different. When I watched the Big Sleep movie, his name was Sean Regan. Uh, and I was like, 
Sean, who the f- what? Because they kept saying Sean, and then I was like, oh, because his name was Rusty in the yeah. book. Marlowe's first action is to stake out Geiger's shop, which turns out to be a pornography racket disguised as a rare bookshop. Let's just open that up real yeah. quick, because that's what we do here. <laughs> Imagine having to go to a dirty bookstore and buy and they renting out. They rented it out like library yeah. books. A fucking book just full of pictures of naked lasses. Well, there was, uh, there was a couple of times when we've, uh, like, traveled for conventions and stuff. We've seen, like, not, like, nudie video or stores or just, like, sex stores, but, like, adult bookstores. It's weird. <laughs> Especially nowadays. Like, <laughs> you'd look on the internet, man. It's everywhere. After pinpointing Geiger, Marlo follows the man to his house and hides in wait outside. The night is rainy and Marlowe sees that Carmen Sternwood has gone inside Geiger's house. There is suddenly a flash and a scream, which turns out to be the flash of a camera and Carmen's reaction to the flash. Um, see, I didn't get that. I thought there was just a gunshot right away. I must yeah. have overlooked that part. So I know like the, the picture was taken, but I didn't know that's what, what he saw outside. When Marlowe approaches Geiger's house to see what is happening, these three gunshots ring out inside the house, followed by the rapid footsteps of the escaping gunman. Entering Geiger's home, Marlo sees that Carmen is drugged and naked, sitting on a chair. That was not played out in the movie yeah. like that. Geiger, who had been taking pictures of Carmen, is dead at her feet. The plate holder of the camera, which ostensibly contains the pictures Geiger had taken of Carmen, is missing. Carmen seems unaffected by what has transpired and is fact, in fact giggly as she is so high on ether. There's lots of ether. Yeah. Uh, another funny thing, um, it was in the book and the movie, was how like they made this broad. I mean, he's broad because that's what yeah. I mean, this broad was really dumb. She constantly, and I mean constantly, when she met would talk with uh, Philip Marlowe, would just be like, "Oh, you're cute." Mid set, like mid conversation, she was keeping "You're cute," and then she was always biting her thumb like a little kid. Very annoying character. Yeah. Later, Owen Taylor, the Sternwoods chauffeur, is found dead in the Pacific Ocean near the fishing pier in Lido. It is unclear whether Taylor's death is a murder or suicide. As the plot unfolds, Marlowe begins to figure out that Taylor was in love with Carmen Sternwood and that it was Taylor who killed Geiger in retaliation for the naughty pictures of Carmen that Geiger had taken. One confusing bit is they never did just, like tell you who killed that kid, right? I don't believe so. Because they, they found him. He was off a pier in a car, and he was he had been bludgeoned previously, and, but there was no... But they, 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 I mean, they even bring it up later in the story. They talk about it, yeah. but it's still, if I remember correctly, not a... Uh, um, a mystery. Yeah, like they didn't, they didn't solve... They or, didn't care to solve it yeah. either. What I find interesting uh, about the detective genre is... You can kind of have loose plot like plot ends because yeah. it's a mystery and like you can just say I don't give a fuck I'm not writing that and I mean that's very much like real life police work yeah like, you, you know, don't always solve the crime yeah, unfortunately Owen Taylor's death is not the only death linked to Geiger another character Joe Brody he's a real skis mm-hmm. appears and is eventually murdered Brody and Agnes Lazell an employee of Geiger have been plotting to take over uh, have been plotting a takeover of Geiger's smut racket. Brody is also in possession of the negatives and prints of the scandal's pictures of Carmen Sternwood, pictures he uses to bribe Carmen's sister Vivian for money. Later, when Marlowe tries to retrieve information from Brody as well as the pictures of his client's daughter, Brody is murdered by Carol Lundgren. Uh, Carol's a man, by the way. That was a that always yeah. fucking freaks me out. Like you know, back then Carol was a yeah. dude's name. Yeah, like now it's clearly a lady's name. Now, well, even now, like if some dude was named Carol, you'd be like. <laughs> 
Okay, Carol. Like a boy named Sue. <laughs> yeah, but uh, but yeah, back then it seems very odd. Now I don't know if they'll get to this in this uh, summary here, but both Stern sisters kept trying to give that kitty to Mr. Yeah, Marlowe. Yeah, bad. And boy, did he handle it great! Like <laughs> he, he smacked lips with the one. Yeah, and then said, "Ah, get out of here, you hussy!" Like he threw her out to the doors. Or threw out of the door, and then he did the same to the sisters at his house, butt ass naked. He threw her out. <laughs> like I loved it. He he, he played it like a, no a smooth non- criminal. No nonsense. No nonsense. He man. he wanted that twenty five dollars a day. <laughs> he wanted it bad. Twenty five dollars a day was enough to make an honest man out of this guy. <laughs> um, Carol Lundgren, Geiger's homosexual lover, kills Brody because he thinks Brody killed Geiger. Lundgren is in prison for the murder. Agnes is released from custody. The pictures are returned to Marlowe, who takes care that they do not fall into the wrong hands again. I'm sure he did take care <laughs> of those pictures. Ooh, plot twist. What if Philip Marlowe's a gay man, and that's why he act, like he acts like he dislikes gay people so much? Yeah. Because mm-hmm, he didn't put the moves on these chicks. Yeah. And these are straight dime pieces, yeah. apparently. And had money. And were rich. <laughs> Also, I like the fake name he came came up with. That he for no reason just gave that the Carmen, the younger sister. What was it, Doghouse Riley? Yeah. Like at the beginning, he's just like I'm Doghouse Riley, but then he just keeps saying that to her. Only her though. Everyone else, he's just Philip Marlowe. Even her older sister, her dad, everybody. But to the young one, he just said he was Doghouse Riley. It's like where'd you come you up know, with that name? You know, talking about them. You know what was must have been big back back in then? Legs, legs, legs. That's all. Any time that they brought they brought them up, that's all we talked about in this legs, book. The legs for days because they couldn't talk about boobs or anything back then. It'd be considered obscene, so they just had to talk about legs. <laughs> she was ninety percent legs. Her, <laughs> her upper thigh connected right to the neck. <laughs> Ultimately, the newspaper releases the story of the blackmail, but in a form that is nothing like the true story. Marlowe's job is technically over as he has taken care of Geiger and the blackmailing. However, Marlowe, still curious about Rusty Regan's whereabouts, does not see himself as finished. Marlowe thinks that perhaps the general believed Regan was somehow involved in the blackmailing plot and that the general wanted to confirm whether or not this is true. The second plot, that of Regan, begins to unfold as the other, that of the blackmailing, is seemingly brought to a close. And it's spelled Reagan, but I'm calling it Regan because that's what they called him in the movie. Uh, the that brought up one one like characteristic that I liked about Malo is that, and it, you find it in like a lot of kind of classic like hero kind of characters, just like not being able to like leave well enough alone. Like you know, like he technically did his job, got his money, they paid him way more yeah. than what they were going to. He had to be like five hundred bucks. And then just still couldn't let it be. Yeah. The, yeah. <laughs> he had to pull that shred to find out. Like, And everybody kept bringing up that Rusty Regan guy to him. And he's like, I don't care. I'm not looking for him. But it, like through the whole thing, he clearly is trying See, to figure it out. I was starting to think that maybe like that the general and then and Regan had like a weird love thing mm. going on. Just like how because you know how much he talked about missing him and how he thought like how good of a yeah. good person he was and how he how upset he was that he just left without like, you know you think without this, saying anything. I think this rusty fellow was giving the old cripple the uh an old fashioned well, well, there. Maybe or something, in I don't the, know. Uh, in his dirty hot house that he always sat in. Well, maybe we don't know how long he's been sick for. Maybe the, the, you know because they were married for however long. Maybe it was before he got all sickly. I don't know. You really solid this program, Spencer. Oh, with your with your idea there, that's gross. Oh, you you didn't get that at all. No. Oh, okay. 
He, the man's in a wheelchair. He's almost dead. He has no blood in his veins. He says multiple times. He says that he has to sit in the dirty hothouse because he's like a baby spider. He needs the warmth so, uh, to stay uh, alive. I'm talking about love, not lust, Caleb. I'm talking about love. I think they had a romantic <laughs> yeah. interlude. <laughs> a thing that can be defined by 30... By I, 30 I got more of the feeling that he just... Uh, like that guy like a son maybe since he didn't have like since he only yeah. had daughters maybe and they were batshit crazy <laughs> yeah they never bring did they ever bring up the mom no they did not meanwhile marlo realizes he is being followed by a man in a gray plymouth sedan the man who turns out to be harry jones has informed about where mona grant eddie mars's wife is being kept in the hideout and this uh this harry jones was a short fella he was a little wienery guy because rumors abound that Regan has run away with Mona, Marlo considers it significant to find out her whereabouts. Marlo finds that Mona had not actually run away with Regan. Instead, her husband, Eddie Mars, has kept her in hiding for his own protection to keep everyone thinking that Regan is alive and has run off with Mona. Harry Jones, who was paired up with Ag- Agnes Lozell, that was the one that was with the, the Joe guy, offers these, this information to Marlo. But Jones is murdered the process by Lash Canino. Eddie Mars is vicious gunman. I don't know if that's worded like that, but uh, yeah, Eddie Jones gets shot by uh, Canino while Marlo is in the other room hiding. He's like, oh, shit. That's a... Then he goes, no. Eddie, Eddie, uh, Harry Jones wasn't shot, was he? He was poisoned. Yeah. He got arsenic poisoned. Um, um, Brody was the one who got Yeah, shot. Brody got shot. Uh, Joe Brody got shot. Carmen, was it Carmen? Yeah, I think it was Carmen busting with a gun. And then that got broken up, and then that's when the, the one kid came in and shot him and ran away. But, uh, yeah, Henry Jones got poisoned. Once Marlo knows where Mona is, he ventures out to find her. He arrives at the hiding place where he's beaten by Canino and handcuffed. Marlo shares a scene with Mona, whom he nicknames Silverwig because of her platinum wig disguise. Awful disguise. In the <laughs> Who's wearing hair like that then? Marlo is attracted to Mona. They have a moment together and they kiss. I guess that's where the love point in the movie came in because that wasn't the end of the the book, but in the movie it was. They got together. She seems to be a good person, but Marlo cannot manage to swear away from her loyalty to Eddie Mars, who's a douchebag. Nevertheless, Mona helps Marlo escape from his ropes and later helps him kill Canino. Everything comes to an end when Marlo returns Carmen Sternwood's gun. The gun Carmen had used to try to persuade Brody to return her pictures to her, to her, and Carmen... Oh... He fucking gave Carmen's gun back. Which apparently back then you could just like buy like guns at the local corner store. It seemed like yeah, they just, were everywhere. Every, yeah, fucking uh, Marlo. He stole like how many guns off of people? And then he, like didn't use any of them, right? He had a cool moment where the one kid who shot Brody when he he he, he I think he sticks him up with a pipe, right? Yeah, it's either him or somebody else. But he sticks somebody up with a pipe and they think it's a gun, and then he takes their real gun. Yeah. And now he has a weapon. But anyway, uh, Carmen, she ends up wanting uh, Marlo to teach her how to shoot a gun or something, uh, some some dumb plot point. So they go out in the back of this oil old oil refinery in the back of her house. And uh, this is when Marlo solves the puzzle. He, uh, he, 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 what, he, oh, fucking, I don't know who wrote that, but the end of that's real shitty. <laughs> Doesn't make sense. But what, what ended up happening was he, he brings the gun to Carmen at her house and then she wants him to show she wants marlo to show her how to shoot so they go to this oil refinery where he sets it up and he's going to put cans up for her to shoot well when he's walking back she points the gun at marlo and bang 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 he even goes as far as saying don't do anything until i get back right and uh so she empties the clip into him sure enough he knew this was going to happen because he's a smart fella so he filled the gun with blanks 
she goes into like a hysteric hysterics thing and like faints or something and then they find out she used that same exact plot point to kill uh her husband rusty regan she uh had him show her how to shoot guns and then she shot him dead and then they dumped him in the oil place and uh that's pretty much how it ends right pretty much and i was kind of waiting like throughout the whole book they don't tell the general about about any of that by the way um because you know like uh, we brought about like about like in the title and stuff like like, you know, the big sleep, the big sleep. Like, I wonder, like, when's that connection gonna, like, happen? Yeah. And it's really, like, the last paragraph when you yeah. talk about everybody, they're gonna, like, you it know, was his philosophy on death, pretty much. And, like, then he used, then he used that, that, that word, like, yeah. those two words, like, five times yeah. within that, pa- that, that paragraph. But this whole, uh, novel is full of a lot of smooth talking, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of cool action scenes. Like, there's a lot, you know, car, not necessarily chasing, but, like, uh, tailing people. Yeah. And, uh, there's a scene where he, when he gets captured in an auto body shop, and he, uh, you know, there's a shootout. I don't want to give too much away, but there's there's a lot of shootouts and fights, and it's it's a cool book. I, I liked it enough. Um, like I said, I wish I had a little more description, maybe. Well, it was weird. If you read that in a magazine, though, I yeah. think that would be kind of cool. Yeah. The fact that it's in, in like an actual book, it does seem like it would, because uh, you don't have pictures that yeah. accompany it or anything. I imagine the pulp magazines had it spruced up a little. But uh, I thought it was like would go into her style for a second, like you know there would be like a there would be like a whole bunch of like small uh, description paragraphs or like pages of dialogue, and then just out of nowhere there'd be like these huge blocks of just like yeah. a half a page paragraph of just like over describing something or, or uh, you know something like that, and I mean I thought that got saw that kind of weird. Um, yeah, I would have to go back and look because I wasn't looking for that when I read it the first time, but I bet you that was used to uh, really showcase a certain thing that he yeah. wants you to oh, yeah, pay yeah. attention to, or conversely, wants you to misdirect. Yeah, by show- like okay, you should pay attention to this, but that's not actually what you're supposed to pay attention to. Uh, that's probably a, a you know. Uh, a writing tool that he he implemented for that. Again, I have to I have to go back and reread, or just you know, in the future books we read, yeah. is I can look into that more because this is the first real noir story I think I've read. Yeah, I mean I've read a couple things that might be considered noir or in the genre, but like this is the first time I've gone into it going I want to read a noir crime noir Especially story, like a uh, like a classic or um, like an original, original one, that yeah. kind of noir, not something that's been published with you know within the past couple of decades or something like that. Well, just like every time we cover, like we do with Conan, or you know, anytime we cover these older type of stories. It's usually the story is good. It just doesn't have some of the glitz and glamour of the modern writing we're used no. to. Uh, these aren't verbose. Uh, they're not um, overly descriptive by any means. They're not H.P. Lovecraft type of pulp yeah. stuff. Like Other than him, most of the pulp writers back then wrote in a way that anybody could read. Yeah. Uh, Robert E. Howard, he was, a, he was closer to H.P. Lovecraft than Marlowe or uh, Chandler was, but still, his was still very readable. Um, anyway, what, what's your overall score out of, uh, five whiskey shots here? I'd give it, like, a, like, a three. Three or a four. Yeah, I'm the same. I, I mean, if I could, if we could split it, like, if we could do a half. Three and a half. Three and a half, if, if that, if that's allowable. Like, three whiskey shots and a, a water shooter. Yeah. Or a uh, what? Uh, what was it that he, he liked a, a whiskey rye, right? Rye, yeah. Yeah, rye whiskey. That was such a pimp move, though, when he goes into the one bookstore or whatever it is, and the chick's there, and what is oh, what did he say to her is the greatest line, because it was raining out, of course, mm. and uh, 
she said something about it being wet, and he's like, I'd much rather get wet in here. Yeah. And, then, yeah. and you're like, oh, shit. And then he pulls out, hey, I got some ride, and they start drinking, and then they have sex, but the sex is glossed over. You do not see the sex scene. Uh, it's just scene leads up to, like, they're going to have sex, like, oh, shit, they're getting friendly, and then it's just him leaving. I kind of liked, uh, even though that it was just, like, a cover for the pornographic thing, but I liked in the beginning, like, it seemed like... The like to the miss some of the mystery was gonna revolve around like a book and the bookstores and, and yeah. stuff like that. I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. I also like that there was a lot of references to what they would consider old writers in their time, like <laughs> yeah. Marcel Proust. Like <laughs> yeah. The one chick brings up, what are you, a Marcel Proust or something? He's like, who? <laughs> and then you don't know if he actually knows who or if he's because then he was he bring up. Uh, I think uh, what was it? Uh, I don't remember. But they bring up a couple writers and different things in the in the story. Well, I could definitely get like I could definitely see like um, this being an influence on like the person or people whoever came up with like Columbo. Yeah, of like the the smart detective guy who just like plays dumb, so you feel like oh I got one up on him, but actually no, yeah. he's like five steps ahead of you. He's just waiting for you to fuck up. Like I, I really enjoyed how Philip Marlowe always knew. Like, because the way he would have his inner monologue and stuff, he always knew what was going on for the most part, and he knew more than the people around him, and he would only give the information he felt needed yeah. to be given, but he would hold stuff. Yeah. And so you, as the reader, know information that the other characters don't, so you're there with Philip Marlowe. It was, uh, again, with the uh, the, the style, the um, tone of mystery through a first-person sus- uh, perspective, like, of the yeah. main character, that was kind of... I like that. That was kind of interesting, and it definitely did make the story seem to go smoother, like, going through his eyes and, like, his voice and, and that kind of stuff. I wonder if all the books are written that way or if he goes to third person in any mm. of the other ones. That'd be something to look into as well. Um, but anyway, we enjoyed the book. Yeah. Yeah, it's like 171 pages, so if you got time... You know, like an hour or two. You could probably read the whole thing and be done with it. And uh, and that's just for us. We have like a bigger floppy like hardback. Yeah. I'm sure if you got like a... Condensed Kindle yeah. version or something. It'd yeah, be it probably wouldn't be as, you know, as big. And again, like the language is... This is 1930s, so language wasn't harsh. There's uh, no explicit sex scenes or anything yeah, like they, that. They, they even go and they they take out the they take out the fuck yous because there's, there's, yeah. there's a character that says fuck you. That's always says go fuck yourself. Go fuck yeah. Go fuck yourself. It's always says go fuck yourself, but it's always just go line yourself. Yeah, like there's just a line for. Fuck. There's like I think there was like a couple. Was there a couple bitches in there? I don't think so. I thought that I thought there was some slight cursing in it like maybe there wasn't it wouldn't have been anything we would consider offensive oh, like no. the only thing that that modern readers would find offensive a uh, couple anti-semitic slurs and the homophobic slurs yeah which the homophobic slurs are very glaring that's obviously what you're going to point out uh but other than that because yeah, i don't even think the uh sexism was that bad in this no book. we were talking <laughs> off air how like he wasn't going around slapping dames that are in hysterics yeah. and like i think he only slapped the one chick and it's because she's high on ether especially considering to the other things we've written we've read that was written around this time yeah. period like the conan stories were way more sexist oh, than yeah. these this story but yeah we'll check out the other books in the series um if you want to Check out our non-noir stories that we have on our site. You can go to uh, drunkenpenwriting.com. You can uh, follow us on the old Twitter, at drunkpenwriting. You can go to the Facebook and Instagram, at drunkenpenwriting. Um, I'm eyeing up my food that's been delivered like, <laughs> a while ago and came all the way from Alabama, apparently. And I'm very hungry, so 
I'm gonna go eat my food, and hopefully Spencer doesn't shoot me in the back, you yelly bally coward. I don't know how to talk like those guys. I wish I did. Yeah, see, now yeah, that's all I can do. That's all time me gangsters. It's not the same as the uh, private dicks. No, wish I was a private dick. But that one, that I will end that on this quick <laughs> note. After reading this, I want to be a private detective. Yeah. I know it wouldn't even be fun nope. or nearly the same. You at most, you'd just be uh, housewives are hiring you to find their shitty husbands and what they're doing, mm-hmm. having affairs and stuff. But it would be awesome. Oh yeah, it would be fun. I just want the door, the glass door that's opaque, like you mm-hmm. can't see through it, has your name on it, or just private dick. Yeah. And I'm going to make everybody call me Private Dick. One last, last note. Okay. Question. If you were a private eye, what would you want to be called? Detective or inspector? Or even if you were just an actual detective for a police force. Inspector or detective? Because I'm reading a story now, the blue light Yokohama, and that guy's an inspector because he's Japanese. Yeah. Mm, I, like... I feel like detective sounds cooler. I want to go... I want to go detective just... Because of, of, like, you know, all the media that we've took, like, yeah. you know, like, Batman or, like, The Shield, like, you know. Classic detec- American yeah, detectives. De- yeah, but Inspector does sound kind of cool. Inspector makes me feel like, ins- like, it makes me think of Inspector Gadget. I, I, Inspector does kind of sound cool. I don't know. It's a tough one. Because, well. Uh, wait, 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 wait. Um, investigator. Investigator. Um, but like with the uh, the inspector, you, you could use that for pickup lines. Like you know, I'm inspector, inspector. What inspector of you, baby? That was awful. Panty inspector would be. Well, I didn't want to get gross. Too, I, I didn't. Guess, want, yeah. I didn't want to go too blue. <laughs> Man, we always fuck it up, don't we? Right at the end. Uh, What's there for for listening this long? I think I'd be I'd be detective. It's, yeah. Or just pi. That or just I maybe just private dick. Private dick. dick. Caleb James, private, private dick. dick. Spencer Church, dick. Not private. Not private. <laughs> not unprivate dick. Man, that's just... Uh, even back then, that had to not sound good. I'm a private dick. You're a private dick? Well, what's an unprivate dick, <laughs> yeah. sir? Is that just you walking around with it flopping out? Hey, ladies. Hey, ladies. Well, Marlo was definitely slinging some uh, unprivate dick, I think, when, when no one was looking. Yeah. In the future stories, I bet he gets a lot. He's turning them down left and right. That was my favorite part, him just turning down the ladies. You know, pow, get out of here. I don't want you. Because that goes against a very kind of stereo or a trope. Like, you know. Always ends up with the girl. Yeah. Yeah. And just like, no, I don't want to. But like like, I said, the movie version, they changed it. So he ends up with the girl. But in the book version, he does not end up with the girl. Because like either he ends up with the girl or like he would sleep with one of them that would cause a lot more problem for him down the line. It's like, no, he's smart enough to know not to do that. Keeps it in his. Of course, I guarantee he has a severe case of whiskey dick because he's always drinking whiskey. That's what it is. Yeah. We'll end it on that. Whiskey dick. 